was sure we're going to nurture the spiritual life of parents. We're going to have a Tuesday night session with parents and we're going to love each other. We're going to create a small group and we're going to build community that way. Mm -hmm. Parents can't leave their house on a Tuesday night mm -hmm. to go to something that I thought was a good idea. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. Today, I'm so happy to welcome Rabbi Sarah Loria. Sarah is a rabbi who was ordained in the Reform Movement, and she's had an amazing biography. She was the founder of Immerse NYC, a community mikvah project, a community ritual bath project. And she, with her husband Isaac, is the co-founder of Beloved Brooklyn, a spiritual community. And right now, she is investing a lot of energy in establishing the Beloved Network, a network of spiritual communities across North America. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you and to, ha to be have this conversation. Um, I, I think where I want to begin with is to ask you to talk about what beloved Brooklyn is. It is, um, as as the introduction suggests, a spiritual community. It is distinct, I think, from a synagogue and other institutions. So if you could talk a little bit about its, um, what it is and its aspirations and how it functions, I think that would be a great place to start. Great. I was running the Community Mikvah Project and we had on the books, just by chance, a gathering of our volunteer leaders. Um, and it was the Wednesday after the 2016 election, mm. just by chance. Uh, we gathered in a synagogue boardroom the evening of Wednesday, November, whatever it was, 2016. And we needed a space to cry mm -hmm. and we needed a space to be in shock and we co-created a ritual together in the moment because that's what we do as <laughs> ritual leaders and we held each other that's mm -hmm. what we did mm -hmm. and as I was sitting there in that in that experience I thought about wow, I wish we weren't in such a sterile, ugly room. Mm -hmm. Wow, I wish there was a place where people knew they could go for this kind of experience, that you didn't have to be specifically invited mm -hmm. like in a specific cohort of volunteers for this specific organization, but that there was just a place that you could go to be nourished and to be scared and to be loved. So that's so beloved is a home based project. Yeah. So beloved is is a home, our home. We moved into this house in August and we took a month to set up and then basically opened our doors and started inviting our people. Mm -hmm. And I always say when people call me and say how do I start something, which obviously happens now from time to time, I just say start with yourself. Mm -hmm. Start with your people. Who, what do you need and what do your people need? And then if it starts with this core of truth for you, 
it will blossom into something um, as long as you keep checking in with yourself and keep checking in with your people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started this thing. And part of this was, I have three small children and they don't want to go to synagogue. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, and, and I, um, I think there is a big open space in the Jewish world for supporting the spiritual needs of parents. Mm-hmm. And so even if we were just doing that at Beloved, even if we were just saying we're nurturing families, especially the spiritual life of parents, I think that would have been enough at Beloved in some ways. But we started with that kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, we started with the kernel of people are scared and this is going to be a harder period after 2016 than we could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And we started with this understanding that synagogue wasn't working for our family. And we know it doesn't always work, especially in the time of having young children. So how can we create a space that is safe and warm and loving and serves the spiritual life of parents? And it really grew from there based on who came through the doors. Mm-hmm. So I so you started with your people, but I'm assuming it, it goes now it's people you don't know walking through the doors as well, mm-hmm. right? So who's mm-hmm. who's coming? Is it is it young families? Is it uh Yeah. I thought uh, we would build a community for, for, for young children and their parents. And we started, um, one of the stories I like to tell is that I was sure we're going to nurture the spiritual life of parents. We're going to have a Tuesday night session with parents and we're going to love each other. We're going to create a small group and just in the, in the vein of, small groups at churches and small groups like Parker Palmer talks mm-hmm, about and, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to build community that way. Mm-hmm. And we would call, we, in the first couple of months, we called meetings for Tuesday night. Parents can't leave their house on a Tuesday night mm-hmm. to go to something that I thought was a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so we learned very quickly that that's not how we're going to serve the spiritual life of parents. Um, at this point, we have a, a lot of different um, cons- small, like micro constituencies, I guess I would say. We serve families at a family gathering we call Beloved Garden. And then we serve, the way I put it is people who can stay out late Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on one Friday night a month. Uh, That means, you know, whoever doesn't feel they have to be home late in the the evening can come. Um, And uh, that has grown. And I really didn't think I would want I am always so tired on Fridays, but it turns out that young adults want Jewish life on Friday night. And um, we've, it's really grown. um, And we have lay people leading with me and we have um, musicians that come and it's become this really beautiful kind of what I call prayer play, Mm -hmm. like experiment in uh, if we didn't have to do any particular part of a Friday night prayer experience, what would we want? Yeah. Um, we do Kabbalah Shabbat, mm-hmm. we do learning, and then we do Kaddish and a closing mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rabbi Larry Hoffman is my teacher. Mm-hmm. And he always says, um, you know, don't do the parts of prayer where the air gets sucked out of the room. Right. And like he always says, just if you know, if people don't want the Alenu, you can feel it in the room. Don't do the Alenu. And my feeling about Friday night was we really need some, joy Joy. and some um, holding space. And I don't feel that we have to do any particular thing on any particular Friday night. Mm -hmm. It's really about feeling into 
where we are in the world, where we are in our calendar, where we are as leaders, and then offering that to the community. So you're not going to get someone who really is kind of halakhically legally oriented and who feels like they need the prescribed service in the prayer book is that they might come as like an anthropological experience, but that's not necessarily going to meet their spiritual needs. You're trying to find that best possible intersection between the, the leader's assessment and the people in the room, what their needs are. Yeah. And I also know that Brooklyn offers a lot mm-hmm. of different kinds of Jewish experiences, mm-hmm. and we have the luxury mm-hmm. of doing prayer in this way. Yeah. Um, it, it won't work in every community, right. but it works in Brooklyn. That's great. Um, and then another community that I am surprised about was um, we now offer Sunday night meditation every, every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came from a community member who said, I'd like to lead a weekly meditation based on the Omer. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it was my first time really tracking the Omer, mm-hmm. um, the weeks between Passover and Shavuot. And then after the Omer was over, everyone just kind of looked at each other and said, let's keep doing this. And it has become one of the most profound experiences of my life wow. to be in weekly community with people who are um, searching for depth yeah. in their Jewish experience. That's great. That's so great. So I, I, I have to ask you about the name. I love the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell me where it comes from and what it means to you and how people respond to it. One of the things that is important to me about the name is that if you never walk through our doors, you know what we're trying to tell you, mm. which is that you are loved. Mm-hmm. And we know that in our our struggles of our time, everything is commodified, including mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. based on how much you can produce or how young you are or how thin you are, or how beautiful you are or how smart you are or how much you've worked this week. And um, what if there was a space that told you, guess what? No matter what, no, ma- no matter, as my mentor says, how good you are at tuba, mm-hmm. you are loved mm-hmm. and nothing you're going to do is going to change my perspective that you deserve to be loved and listened to. And so we want to communicate that to people, even if they never come through the doors, when they hear that we are the beloved community, they know a little bit, or they might get a taste of what we stand for. The other reason I, we named the house beloved is because um, we were thinking about this project over Passover three years ago. And some people know this uh, and some people don't. And I was one that didn't that Passover in the song of songs, um, which is the book of love poetry in the Tanakh in the, in the Bible, in the Jewish Bible, um, they're connected Passover and the song of songs. Mm -hmm. And so three years ago on Passover, I, I learned this and I read the song of songs. And I know that some people say that the song of songs is a book of love poetry between God and Israel Mm -hmm. as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And some people say it's a book of love poetry between one person and another person, a little bit less as a metaphor, a little bit more as a, as love letters to each other. I read it and I thought, this is a book of love poetry from God to me. 
God loves me. Mm. Like God Mm. is so passionately crazy about me. And, and what if, what if we really felt the implications of that? I think that that is such an important thing for Jews to ask at this moment in time. I mean, for me, it's so interesting that the sources from the Song of Songs, because that so much of that is written in in the singular, in the first person or the second person singular, and our liturgy is written in the collective. And mm-hmm. You know, central to Jewish liturgy in both the morning and the evening service is an assertion of God's love for us. But mm-hmm. it is like in the morning service, it's Ahava Rabbah Ahavtanu, with an abounding love, with a great love. You love us. And yeah, yeah. it's a, it's an us. It's a we. And I realized, I think in my 20s, when I was really struggling, that I I felt like that was true for the people Israel. And I was a mm-hmm. part of the people Israel. But it didn't feel true for me. And I spent a lot of time talking about, like, well, what would, and this was from a conversation with Christian friends, with, you know, folks in seminary. They felt personally and individually loved by God. And some of this has to do with my theology. I don't believe in a personal God. But, but Mm -hmm. you know, like, even setting that aside, like, I've asked myself the question many times over the years, what would it mean if I believed that I was really loved with this, if I I personally felt washed over with this yeah. great love. And so I just, I love that you're asking that and that you're centering that so powerfully. I think love cannot be general. <laughs> For us to feel it in our bodies. I mean, it, we can be expanded out, but I think the idea of love is that it requires a lot of work in a specific relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a specific thing. Yes, I love America. And Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But what does that mean? Like, how do I live that? It has to be specific. I can't just say I love America and then do nothing to support a healthy, robust democracy that we all pray for. My my sister-in-law, Jenny, who's very wise, says um, love is a verb. Yes. Like, you can't just say I love you. Right. And then that's it. You know, like you have to step forward and act it out. Yeah. So Eric from writes about love. I'm reading right now his book, The Art of Loving. Mm-hmm. And then um, Bell Hooks picks up his thinking and she defines love as um, when you are in love with someone, you are invested in their spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, we get confused because in our families, um, there is care. There can be care without love, mm-hmm. but love means I am invested in your spiritual growth. And so I think we have to be specific in love. Um, and I think I hear a lot, oh, beloved, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Um, oh, you're so loving, you know, so lovey-dovey, like a little bit patronizing, mm-hmm. like that love is just such a sweet thing that I'm a, we're aspiring to. But I think anyone who's been in any loving relationship knows that it's the hardest thing a person can do yeah. with their lives and the most worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And so I want to figure out not how do we expand this to generally, oh, Judaism is is about love. Like, I don't know what that could possibly mean. It has to be more specific. I want to say, I want our people who come to Beloved 
to experience what it is to be in a loving relationship with each other, with me, and maybe at moments with God so that they can use that base of love and experiences of love to have other experiences of love in their life and to build a life of love. Um, but it has to come from the from the specific to the general. It's so gorgeous, Sarah. It's so gorgeous. I mean, as I was thinking through the the season, which is all about community and um, talking with, with colleagues and, and pushing me, what do you mean by community? Mm-hmm. And, and I was quite certain that it was about beyond synagogues. But at the end, what I was saying is what I mean by community is relationship. What I mean yeah. by community is that countercultural assertion against individualism. And, you know, mm-hmm. the founders in America, the early leaders in America, they had a very strong sense of communitas that they put mm-hmm. alongside their commitment to individualism. They were just the way we liberal Jews are. They were trying to find what the best negotiation between the individual and the collective was. And that, I feel like, in so many ways, has gone off the rails uh, yeah. in, in American society. And it's all about radical individualism. And the whole digital and consumer culture has just accelerated that. And so th- th- this idea of, that, that for me, that, that this relationship and how we are yeah. transformed once we enter into relationship, that just mm-hmm. feels essential. The way I'm thinking about it right now, I'm experimenting with this language of accompaniment. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, at the mikvah, um, our volunteer ritual facilitators, they're not solving anyone's problems at the mikvah. Mm-hmm. They are sitting next to someone who is in a transition and saying, I'm, I hear you. I care about you. I'm invested in your spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. I love you. You're a stranger to me. I may never see you again. But in this moment, I am accompanying you as you do the hard work of this transition. And I, uh, I think about the Shekhinah, the indwelling presence of God, when, when we were exiled out of the temple, the Shekhinah who lived at the temple she came with us mm-hmm. into exile. Mm-hmm. And look, she couldn't solve our problems. She couldn't right. make it better. She couldn't rebuild the temple. But what she could say is, I know you're having a really hard time and I'm going to come with you and I'm going to be there with you in your struggles. And hopefully just my witness of you and my sitting next to you will ease the hardship that you're experiencing. And I feel like that's what community can be mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at its best. Oh, it's is beautiful. That we sit next to each other. We accompany each other, especially in our meditation group. We really see that. Like people come in with all kinds of experiences on Sunday night. And the best we can do is sit and hold the space and light a candle and be quiet mm-hmm. and listen to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. So beautiful. So we're not finishing up immediately, but starting to turn toward the end of our conversation. And I just want to ask you, this is, you are creating something that is distinct from existing institutions, shall we say, you know, it's, um, so I I just want to ask you to reflect on, do you see it as alongside and as a compliment? Do you see beloved as a critique? Do you see it as responsive to the moment? Like, how are you thinking about it in the landscape and the ecosystem of, of Jewish communal institutions at this point? I think that we are 
and I'm not the first person to say this, um, living through a grand transition in Jewish life or in, in life, in, yeah, in, in, a, right. in this world, we see everything is in flux. Mm-hmm. Almost everything is in flux. So it is both, um, extremely scary. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I think a time of grief and mourning what was, and also extremely exciting mm-hmm. because we are the rabbis at Yavne. We are the ones who are trying to figure out what are the categories we are going to use to write the Mishnah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, we didn't like, know it was called a Mishnah. Yeah. So Sarah's referring to when when the temple was destroyed, what happens next? Israelite religion could have disappeared, but this small cadre of leaders stepped forward to create the foundations of what became rabbinic Judaism. So full of opportunity. I think that I agree completely. So I feel like there are two experiences happening side by side. One is um, fear and grief Mm -hmm. and mourning and um, rigidity, uh, which is natural when things are changing. And the other is excitement and hope and a lot of different flowers Mm -hmm. beginning to bud. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do not think of this as a critique at, at all. I think of it as a, how do we serve the needs of the people around us? Mm-hmm. And the network we're, I'm working on building is a network of communities that have a similar value system as Beloved Brooklyn, but they all have different models. Mm-hmm. So a few of the communities that we're, um, that we're in this network with are attached to synagogues and are, you know, startup communities that are the rabbis that are starting up the communities are also rabbis of the local synagogue. You know, it's not that they're, that everything has to be done completely separately. I think that what we're doing now is we are composting what isn't flourishing anymore and planting the seeds of what's going to be. And so I don't see it as an either or in any way. Mm -hmm. I see it as a, let's try this. Let's try this. How about this? You know, and the people who are excited about um, building are, um, I think, people who are looking clearly at what isn't working and recognizing, yes, I'm sad about it. Yes, I wish it was different. But seeing clearly some parts of the Jewish landscape aren't working. How do we scaffold new possibilities? so some of that is adjacent to synagogues. Mm-hmm. Some of that is within synagogues. Some of that is separate from synagogues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about the fact that there were in Eastern Europe, there were shtetls and shtibels and they were, um, there were flatter <laughs> Jewish, li- there were right. flatter so Jewish organizations. Right. So shtibels, uh, like shtibels are like where storefront, little storefront Jewish, there were big, there were big synagogues, there were little storefront, there were interest groups that sponsored their own. Yeah. It's such rich and diverse life there. That's yeah. Funny. And I'm looking to, I want to think about, you know, what are the ways we can foster all different kinds of expressions of Judaism without saying one is better than the other. Um, I think also about the beloved network as we're doing the R and D, the research and development or the research and design for how Jews gather in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. You said this 
and I'm, I agree that by nature, Jews gather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how we do uh, our Jewish rituals, our Jewish practices, our Jewish lives, our, our meals, our every, so much of what we do is in community. Mm-hmm. We have to be, mm-hmm. it's by design. So Jews are going to gather. We're mm-hmm. not, let's not worry about Jews not gathering. To me, that's, that's impossible, but Jews may gather differently. And so now is the time to do a lot of research and, and development around what are ways Jews want to gather in the 21st century. So great. So what's it like for this to be your home? I mean, this mm-hmm. is clearly your heart and how mm-hmm. amazing that you get to do this work that you're so passionate about. How do you draw the boundaries? Is that the wrong question? Are you not seeking to draw the boundaries? Um, it's a very different from like a middle class liberal understanding of the rabbinate as a profession. Yeah, um, and I think most rabbis are not are in it for much more than just the professional piece. But I, I'm just I'm wondering um, in in that in all the love that you're pouring out, how I guess you know, where do you retreat to get renewal or do you not need to, or? (laughs) Um, I would say that living in the store is kind of how we put it. We don't live above the store. We live in the store, Uh um, is beautiful and complicated and hard. And it's the point. The point is that I am a rabbi and in a way, this is like a version of a shtetl, like mm-hmm. a version of a Eastern European village, but not to be too Ashkenormative and, mm-hmm. and only think about Eastern Europe. But I think about the fact that in a shtetl, like there was the rabbi and then there was the tailor and the shoemaker and, and we all had roles to play. Mm-hmm. And in our house, the experience of my leadership is that I am alongside people, mm-hmm. I hope. Um, I think about the fact that the first woman rabbi was ordained 40 years ago in America. Yeah. I think that for the last chunk of time, maybe not 40 years, but for the beginning of that, for at least part of that, um, women had to prove that they were rabbis in the vein of Mm -hmm. rabbis for the last thousands of years, which is male. Mm -hmm. They had to prove that they could do the role of male rabbi. Mm -hmm. And because that was what rabbi meant. So they had to be, you know, as everyone says about women taking any roles that men did, they had to do it better or just as well and better. Right. Um, but now I think we're at this place where we can say, okay, women are rabbis. And what if the rabbinate wasn't a male field, but was a, a field for humans? Mm-hmm. I think what does a feminist rabbinate look like? Mm-hmm. Not only women being rabbis, but what does a feminist rabbi look, rabbinate look like? And I only get to ask that question because of the 40 years of mm-hmm. women who have been rabbis on, on whose shoulders I stand. If I was them, I would have had to do the other role. Mm-hmm. But because I stand on their shoulders and and we are here and we are women and we are rabbis and I get to say, what does a feminist rabbinate look like? Not only for women, not only for trans people, not only for men, just for all mm-hmm. rabbis. And to me, the feminist rabbinate is a rabbinate where you get to bring your whole self to the position, to the calling. Um, for me, that means that I bring my mother self, I bring my sister self, I bring my wife self, I bring my 
tired and you're in my house self, I bring all myself. Um, and I always say like, my children are crying in the background during services by design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know that I'm a real human. And I don't, I think that's part of building a feminist raven. It is not seeing me as in mm-hmm. a robe on mm-hmm. the bima. And again, I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying for me, that's not what I'm called to be doing. What I'm called to be doing is being this vulnerable mm-hmm. person who mm-hmm. allows you into my house. And that's how I feel like I can help shape um, a holistic rabbinate for the 21st century. And I think we're only at the beginning of that. I think so. I think it's so amazing. I love that image. I, I, I always think about feminism that, you know, that when people think it's only about women, that they miss the point entirely, that it's about helping all of us um, come to uh, full and complete realization of self. And so yeah. to end on that note is a, a special, um, a special gift. I, I've loved talking to you. This has just been such a rich conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank Rabbi Sarah Loria for this amazing conversation on on Beloved Brooklyn and on the Beloved Network. For more information, I urge you to look on Hashivenu's website, which you can find at hashivenu.fireside.fm. We will post links to Beloved Brooklyn and um, to some of the books that we talked about. uh, And you can also find some more resources on reconstructingjudaism.org and on ritualwell.org. Um, thank you again, Sarah. I am Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Hashivenu, 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 Hashivenu.